0: Let's grab our Bibles, go to John 7. That's where we're gonna be today, John chapter 7. And today, we are answering the most important question that you will ever have to answer in your life. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? I actually read this past week that 2.7 million people Googled that question last year. Because in our world today, that's what you do. When you don't know the answer to a question, you just Google it. You you don't need books or libraries. Just go to Google. And and when you Google that question, all sorts of answers pop up. And the problem with some of them is that they fall very short of who Jesus claimed to be. I don't know if you know this, but when Jesus was here 2,000 years ago, he said stuff like this. I have been sent from heaven. I am the giver of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to God unless they go through me. Can you imagine if somebody showed up today and said stuff like that? And on top of saying that stuff, did miracles to back up their claims, healed the sick, raised the dead, walked on water, fed crowds of people with little boys' lunchables. Can you imagine, right? If that happened today, we would all have some decisions to make. And listen to me, because of his works and his claims, we all have some decisions to make about Jesus, and you creating a Jesus of your own liking is not an option, okay? Like nobody gets to decide today, well, this is who Jesus is to me. It doesn't really matter who Jesus is to you. All that matters is who he is, and you either take him as he is or you don't take him at all. In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis made this point. I can't say it better than him, so I'm just going to read it. Here's what he says. I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept this claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any of this uh, patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. My man, C.S. Lewis... Now you know why his initials are C.S. He is a complete savage, dropping truth on us. It is so good. But, but listen, this is the wrestle we see in our text for today. Jesus is in the temple in the city of Jerusalem standing before a people who are trying to answer the question, who is this man? Who is Jesus? And we'll pick it up in verse 25, all right? Here's what John writes. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from and when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from and we'll stop there and talk, okay? Uh, If you missed last weekend in John chapter seven, Jesus is in Jerusalem for a feast. It's called the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles and it happened every year. Jewish people would travel into the city And for a week, they would live in these temporary dwellings, these booths or tabernacles, and they did it to commemorate God being present with his people in the wilderness. Hundreds of years earlier, God saved the nation of Israel out of Egyptian slavery. He began leading them to the land of promise, and he was present with them the whole way through, providing for them the whole way through. And so again, the people would gather and celebrate that. In addition, this was a pilgrimage feast which meant every Jewish male had to go. You couldn't get out of it. And so Jesus went, but he didn't go at the beginning. He went in the middle of the feast, about midweek. And when he got there, he went straight to the temple in the city, and he began to teach, which, as I told you last weekend, was very surprising because from a human standpoint, Jesus had no right to do that. I know a lot of times we talk about Jesus as a Jewish rabbi, and he kind of was, but he wasn't really because he never studied under a rabbi, he never went to rabbinical school, and only qualified Jewish rabbis were invited to teach in the temple, but Jesus didn't care, he invited himself, because he's God and the temple belonged to him, and and so he goes in and he starts teaching, and what we see in our text, all of these people who lived in the city of Jerusalem, they're there, and they're listening to what Jesus is saying, and they're very, very surprised because they know that the religious authorities in that city wanted Jesus dead. And they're sitting back and going, okay, uh, they wanna kill him and they're not killing him. And they wanted to kill him, John five, because they accused him of being a blasphemer. He walked around making himself equal with God by calling God his father. They accused him of being a Sabbath breaker because he kept healing people on the Sabbath. I think just to mess with the religious people, all right? But, But they were angry at Jesus to the point that they wanted to take his life And here's Jesus in the temple speaking very openly, and those leaders are doing nothing, nothing. I mean, Jesus is in front of them going, I've been sent from God, and I'm here to speak for God, and I'm here on the authority of God, and and my teaching comes from God. And then he calls them out for trying to kill him. He's like, you do realize you're about to break your own law, right? Right. Uh, Moses said you shouldn't murder people, which I love that commandment. That's a great commandment. Don't murder people, okay? And, and Jesus is like, you're going to break your law by murdering me. And, and by the way, can we talk about this? I healed a guy on the Sabbath. You circumcised baby boys on the Sabbath. So why is it okay for you to cut skin off on that day, but I can't make a guy's whole body well on that day. Help me out with that. And these guys are just standing there letting him talk. This would be like you. Uh, you know that neighbor up the street you always call the HOA on? Some of y'all are laughing because you're the people that do this. You call, the HOA. And, but you call because he never cuts his grass, and he's got, always got cars parked on the street. Super annoying. But imagine you're at your house one night throwing a great big party. All your friends are there. And that dude shows up unannounced and walks into your living room and just blesses you out in front of everybody. And you just stand there and take it on the chin, you know like you listen, you don't say anything, you don't respond, you don't defend yourself. This is what's happening in the text and the fact that these leaders are staying silent caused the people to question, who is that man? Who is Jesus? Thought they wanted to kill him, they're not killing him, they're letting him speak and so they asked this question, could it be that they know the truth about him, that he is the Christ? And the word Christ there is so significant. I told you this earlier in the series that is not Jesus' last name. Was it Joseph Christ, Mary Christ, Jesus Christ? Okay. Christ is a title and it means anointed one. And in the Hebrew language, the title is actually Messiah. And the Messiah was this person that God promised to send into the world for his people. When you go back and read the Old Testament scriptures and you see passages like Psalm 2, Psalm 110, The Bible tells us that the Messiah he would send would be both Savior and King. And so I need you to lean in and catch this, okay? This person sent by God would come to rescue the people of God from all of their enemies, sin, death, and hell included. And after rescuing them, he would then rule and reign over them, eventually ridding the world of sin and godlessness and he would extend to the people of God all the blessings of God through his rule and his reign. And so I need you to listen to what I'm saying, okay? You calling Jesus the Christ is no small thing. Like When you throw that title around, Jesus Christ, that is a very, very weighty thing because when you use that language, you are recognizing that is who he is. He is the promised Messiah. He's not just a good man. He's not just a moral teacher. He's not another religious leader. No, he is God's anointed, and he has been sent into the world to save sinners like me. Oh, and praise God, he's coming back one day in the future to set things right once again. This is who Jesus is. And the reason we can be confident in the fact that this is who he is because he told us that's who he is. I mean, he said it. You can read the Gospels for yourself, but there's this great story in Matthew 16, and he's hanging with his disciples, and and he's done all of these miracles, and he's teaching, and the people are amazed, and he asks his guys one day, he's like, hey, who do people say that I am? And they speak up, and they're like, wow, some people think you're Elijah, and some John the Baptist, and some say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets, and then he asks them the most important question you will ever answer in your entire life. Who do you say that I am? And Peter speaks up, because I told you last week, Peter always spoke up, dude would never shut up. He was always the disciple talking, you know. And Peter speaks up and he goes, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And what Jesus doesn't do in the moment is say, oh no, 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 Peter, you've got me confused with someone else, that's not me. He says, ding, 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 we have a winner, folks. Peter, you are blessed because you did not figure that out on your own. My Father in heaven revealed that to you. You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And can I just tell you, when he said that, he wasn't saying that he was going to build his church on Peter. No, he was saying, I'm going to build my church on your confession that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. This is who Jesus is, but the people in our text are not convinced yet. You know, they're wondering if that's who he is and they're wrestling with whether or not that's who he is, but they're not convinced because at the time of Jesus, the Jewish people held to this belief that when the Christ appeared, he would just appear and no one would know where he came from. And they're looking at Jesus and they're like, well, we know where he comes from. We saw it a chapter ago, John chapter six, when Jesus announced that he was the bread of life, he's like, I've been sent from heaven. And the people were like, no, you haven't, you're Joseph's boy. You're Mary's son, like we know your folks, and and we see it in places like Mark 6, where he is in Nazareth, his hometown, he's done all these mighty works, he's teaching the people, they are amazed, until somebody in the crowd goes, hold on, wait, wait, that's just the carpenter, and he made my coffee table for crying out loud, we can't be too impressed with him, his mom and dad are here with us, his brothers and sisters are here with us, And sadly, Jesus could do no mighty works there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. I've said it before. I feel like I need to say it right now in this moment again. God works where he's wanted. He works where he's wanted. And I believe if we'll keep desiring him and desiring his work, he's gonna keep showing up and and working amongst us. But, But these people, they're looking at Jesus and they're like, we think it's him, but we don't think it's him. Could be him but we're not convinced that it's him because if it were really him we wouldn't know where he came from here's what i need you to know today this is the problem with you forming conclusions about jesus apart from his word okay catch this the word of god tells us exactly where the messiah would come from and the word of god tells us exactly who the messiah would come from micah 5 2 is this prophetic passage about The birth of the Messiah, hundreds of years before Jesus, it was written down that he would be born in Bethlehem, the city of David, okay? That's where he would come from. The Bible also tells us in passages like Genesis 12 and 2 Samuel chapter 7 that he would come from the lines of Abraham and David, Abraham was the father of the Jewish nation. David came from the tribe of Judah, which was the kingly tribe of the nation. And this Messiah would descend from the lines of these two men. That's who he would come from. The Old Testament scriptures even tell us how the Messiah would save his people, that he would save them through suffering. This is the book of Psalms. This is the book of Isaiah where we see this. And the people missed it. Like they thought when the Messiah showed up, he would come to save through force and power and military might, and they did not recognize that their king and savior would ultimately take his crown through a cross. They just missed it. Here's the point I'm trying to make they had everything that they needed in their hands to make a very informed decision about Jesus, and they ignored all the evidence. And I just wanna tell you, it's dangerous when you form conclusions about Jesus apart from the word of God. I'll give you two, da- two dangers. Number one, you reduce him. You reduce him, meaning that you treat him as lesser than who he is. And when you treat Jesus as someone lesser than who he is, you ultimately miss out on the salvation that you need. i right, I'm gonna give you some bad news today because I love you, you ready? You're a sinner, you are, so am I. So I'm preaching to all of us, okay, we're all sinners. of us born into the world in the same condition, spiritually dead, separated from God, under the wrath of God, and there's absolutely nothing we can do about it. I'm trying to tell you today, you ain't the savior that you need, okay? You can't save you out of those things. It doesn't matter how much you come to church, how many rules you follow, how moral you try to be, you cannot work your way into right standing with God. And so what you need is someone outside of you to do for you what you can't do, and his name is Jesus. But if you only ever think of him as a good teacher, as a religious leader, as as a moral man, you will never turn in faith to him for the salvation that you need. Danger number one is you reduce him, and then danger number two, you resent him. You resent him. I read a great line this past week, it's very popular in recovery circles. Expectations are premeditated resentments. Ooh, let that sit on you for just a minute. Expectations are premeditated resentments. Have you ever put expectations on a person that they never agreed to and then resented them for not meeting your expectations? Have you ever done this? If you're like, no, I've never done it, you're a liar. We've all done it, right? We've all done this. Uh, We do it at work, you know, you go into the copy room and you're like, I need to print something and you get that little, you know, message on the screen. Oh, it needs paper, tray two needs paper. You get frustrated, you're like, why can't these people just put paper in the printer tray? Every time I come in here, it's empty and if you use it, just refill it, you get frustrated. Uh, Or you go to make coffee and it's like, why can't they just take the little Keurig cup out after they lose, Like, like I gotta throw away every Keurig, just take it out and throw it away so I don't have to throw it away for you, it's frustrating. Uh, we all do this in marriage if you're married. Yeah, somebody's about to get super convicted. Okay, don't worry. Prayer team, available later. We'd love to pray for you. But we do it in marriage, don't we? Like, why can't this man just put his socks in the hamper? I mean, I don't understand. It's, it's like every time I walk into the bedroom, they're on the floor and the hamper's five feet away. Why can't he just put them in there? And ladies, I'm not letting you off the hook. How about this one? Why is it that every time I get into the shower, there is a clump of hair on the wall? <laughs> I didn't even know women could lose that much hair. And like, why can't she just throw it away so I don't have to look at it? Every time I'm trying to get myself clean. And, and we all do this. We don't talk to people and agree on expectations. We just put expectations on people and then resent them for not meeting them. And can I tell you, people do it all the time with Jesus. People do this all the time with Jesus. They put expectations on the Lord that he never agreed to and then they get mad at him for not meeting those expectations. I was talking to a new friend in our church about it just this past week. Uh, We were discussing the problem of evil, which is a problem a lot of people get caught up on And, and we're just talking about the brokenness of our world. Things are chaotic, things are disorderly. There's so much pain and suffering and hardship that we see in front of us each and every day and if we're being honest, Sometimes it looks like God doesn't care. And sometimes it looks like God isn't really doing anything to solve that problem, but the truth is God cares deeply and he is doing something to solve the problem of evil. It started 2,000 years ago when he sent Jesus into the world. And by his life, death, and resurrection, he conquered the evil one, Satan, our enemy. And then one day in the future, Jesus Christ is returning to earth once again, and he will put an end to evil and all of its consequences once and for all. Like, this is the hope that we have in believer, as, as believers, that Jesus is coming back, and he's going to do something about all those things we hate about life and about the world, but listen, Jesus never promised to do that now. Like Nowhere in his word do you find a promise from Jesus to do all that now. What Jesus does now, please hear me, what he does now is he saves sinners who believe. So when you put your faith in him as Savior and Lord, what he does right now is he moves you from spiritual death to spiritual life. He replaces your cold, uh, dead heart with a brand new heart that longs for God and desires God. He sends the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to indwell you so that you have the power you need to live the life God created you to live. And then he gives you the hope of eternal life with him. That is what he does now. So if your expectation for Jesus is to solve all of your other problems now, you're going to resent him. If you're the person going, well, I want him to heal all my diseases now. Now and I want him to resolve all of the sin struggles now, and I want him to take away all the pain and the suffering now, you will ultimately be let down by Jesus. Not because of him, but because of you. Because you're putting expectations on him that he never agreed to, and he's very aware. Jesus is very aware in this moment that this is what's happening that these people in the crowd are, are drawing conclusions about him apart from his word. And so in verse 28, Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, you know me and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true and him you do not know. I know him for I come from him and he sent me. This is so good, he looks at this crowd and he's like, oh yeah, you think you know, but you don't know. You think you know me, you don't know me. You think you know where I come from. You don't know where I come from. Yeah, you're all caught up on my earthly origins. You know my mom and my dad and my family. And yeah, 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 yeah. But you have no clue about my heavenly origins. And he makes the point in the verses that we read that he was sent. And we cannot rush past that statement because that is a very, very strange statement. Who talks that way? You ever met a person in the middle of conversation, they are like, hey, uh, I don't know how to, how to tell you about me, but uh, I, just, I felt like you need to, I've been sent. If someone said that to you, your reaction should be, please get away from me, you weirdo. I have no idea what that means. Like, nobody talks that way. There's a reason we call it a birthday and not a sent day. Are you tracking with me here, right? Like, you're not here because someone sent you. You're here because someone gave birth to you. Your mom and dad got together, like, hey, we should have a baby, and you know, next thing you know, here you are. Or if you're like, my wife and I, you didn't decide to have a baby, and kid number three, here you are, and oops, and some of you are those kids, and we love you, but, but Jesus says in this moment, I'm here because someone sent me, and the one who sent me is true. That word true in the Greek language, it is so rich with meaning. Basically, what Jesus is saying is that the person who sent me is real, that I didn't just come from a place, but I've, I've come from a real person, and the real person who sent me is God himself, and that is the difference between us and Jesus. Like us, his human life began in the womb at conception, but unlike us, Jesus was alive and well long before that moment came, right? I mean, he's pointing here again to his eternality, That Jesus Christ, the Son of God, for eternity past, that he existed in perfect relationship with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. And think about this, there came a day when the Father looked at the Son and he said, I'm sending you. I'm sending you. He sent Jesus Christ into the world for two distinct purposes. Number one, to make him known. This goes back to where we started in John 1, the prologue, the introduction to the book that Jesus is the Logos he is the, the word, the divine self-expression or speech. And John 1:14, the word became flesh and he came to dwell among us, tabernacled among us is the language there, that he is the visible manifestation of God's glory upon the earth. He came to show us what God is like. And then at the end of his life, Jesus made a way for us to know God. This is the good news of the gospel Man, that when you and I were were dead in our sins, separated from the God who created us under wrath and unable to do anything about it, that Jesus did for us what we couldn't do. It's John 3 stuff, that, that God sent Jesus not to condemn the world but to save the world. And that God the Father loved his world so much that he gave up the life of his one and only son so that whoever would believe in him might not perish but have everlasting life. The Father sent the Son, and here's Jesus' point in the text. You can't know the one who sent him if you don't know him. You can't know the Father if you don't know the Son. You can't know God apart from Jesus. You see, the lie in our world today is that there are many ways to know God. There are many ways. There's a multiplicity of ways for you to know God, and so, man, just just pick a way. It's fine. It's fine. Like, there's all these religions and all these different paths, and if you'll just work hard and be faithful, you can know God, and you can get to that place where God is. And, and according to what Jesus says in our text and, and all throughout the Gospels, that's not true. He looks at these people and he's like, yeah, you think you know God, but you don't know God because you don't know me, the one he sent and this is where Christianity is fundamentally different from every other belief system in existence. As Christians, we do not believe that there are many ways to God. We believe that there's one way to God and his name is Jesus Christ. I've shared this with you in the past and I find it incredibly helpful. But years ago, I heard a story about a gathering of religious leaders. And they had representatives from all the major world religions on a stage like this and they were talking about what they all believed and and one of them spoke up and said, you know, at the end of the day, all of our belief systems are fundamentally the same. And at the end of the day, we're all worshiping the same God. And he used this illustration. He said, if you can just picture God on top of a mountain and all of these different paths leading up to him, he said, that's what the different religions are. Christianity's a path and Islam's is a path and Buddhism is a path and Hinduism is a path. And so if you will just pick a path and be faithful, you can make your way to where God is. And and after he got done with that explanation, the, uh, the Christian on the panel, he spoke up. <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> excuse me. That's not what we believe. And he went on to say to the crowd, we do believe that God is on top of a mountain, but there are no paths that lead to him. And so even if we had all eternity to try, we could never make our way to where he is by just working hard or being faithful, which is why God in grace and kindness came off the mountain to us. And this is what Jesus is saying. He sent me. He sent me to you because you don't know him. And he wants you to know him. And I'm here to make a way for you to know him. And I just need you to know that you can't know him unless you know me. And here's how the people respond in verse 30. So they were seeking to arrest him. But no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. And they said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? So there's two responses to Jesus, right? Uh, And at the end of the day, these are the only possible responses to Jesus. Rejection or belief. There are no third options, my friends, okay? Neutrality is not an option. You can't just decide, well, I'll do nothing with Jesus. Man, Jesus is fine with me. If you wanna follow him, that's fine, whatever. No, neutrality is rejection, If you do not believe in Jesus and follow Jesus, by default, you have rejected Jesus. And what we see in the text are the people who rejected him trying to arrest him, but they couldn't. It was almost like their hands were tied, you know? And John tells us it was because his hour hadn't come. We talked about that briefly last week. He actually used the phrase, his time hadn't come. But his time or his hour, that was the hour of him making himself known to the world and and that would happen about six months after this. Jesus would go back to Jerusalem for his final Passover, and at the end of that Passover week, he would die a substitutionary death for us, in our place, for our sins, drinking down every bit of God's wrath that we deserve so that we could be forgiven and set free, and then three days later, he would get up from the grave to conquer death and hell for all who would believe. That is how Jesus would reveal himself to the world, By his death and his resurrection. And John is saying that time hadn't come and so no one laid a hand on him. Let me tell you what we're seeing here, okay? It's a little thing called the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God, which simply means that our God is in control of all things. There's nothing that happens in your life and there's nothing that happens in our world that does not first pass through the hands of God. He is in control, but hear me, it does not mean that God is the cause of all things. Massive difference, okay? There's a lot of stuff that happens in our world that God is not the cause of. God does not cause sin, God does not cause evil, so we have to be very careful in the way we talk about God when we talk about the sovereignty of God. But my point is simply this, even sin and evil are not outside of God's control. It's why in Romans eight twenty eight, Paul says that God is able to work all things together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. This is such a beautiful verse, but it only applies to a select group of people, okay? That is not a promise for all people. That's a promise for you if you love him and you're called according to his purpose. But if you don't love God and you're not living according to his purpose, there's gonna be a lot of horrible stuff that happens in your life and God is in no way committed to working those things together for your good. He hasn't promised that. But if you love him and you're living according to his purpose, God can take even the worst things in your life and bring good out of them. This is his commitment to you. And I want you to know this, what, this is ultimately what he did with the death of Jesus. You see, for a time he prevented it And then he allowed it. And do you know what he did next? He turned around and he used it. He used the worst moment in human history to save a bunch of sinners like you and me. So even the death of Jesus was not outside of his control. As I've told you in the past, his death was an appointment, not an accident. We'll see this when we get to John chapter 10. Jesus says, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down willingly, and he laid it down at just the right time. And in his death, I hope this encourages you, in his death, we see a truth concerning our deaths. One commentator I read said it like this, that we are all immortal until our work is done. How good is that? That deserved an amen from somebody, so it's all right. I'm Y'all still with me, right, that we are all immortal until our work is done, meaning that if you're still breathing, God ain't finished with you, that if you have blood pumping through your veins and breath in your lungs, God has work for you to do. There's a great couple in our church, man, who I love dearly. Their names are Kent and Paula Bowen, and some of you know the Bowens, but a few years ago, they retired And they decided instead of using our retirement years to just like play bingo and mess around on the golf course, we're going to do something else. And look, if bingo and golf is your thing, praise God, knock yourself out. But they just decided that's not going to be us. No, instead, we're going to use our retirement years to move all the way across the world to South Africa so that we can be missionaries. We're going to spend the the latter part of our life serving the least of these and taking the gospel to people who have potentially never heard the name of Jesus, and this is what they're doing right now. That kind of work. Why? Because if you're breathing, God ain't finished with you. And I think that should give us a great calm and peace about our lives, but at the same time, it should also motivate us to get off of our hands and off of our backsides and to get into the world and to do meaningful work while we still have time. And I think some of you need that reminder today because let's be honest, man, you're here, you're a little discouraged. Uh, You're questioning God's willingness or his ability to use you, maybe because of your age. It's like, I've given it a good run, maybe it's time to hang it up. Don't you dare hang it up. Like, what are you thinking but well, if you gotta be a missionary in the nursing home, just go do that. Like, I mean, come on, man. What are you doing with your life? But then there are others of you that doubt his willingness and ability to use you because of something that you've done in the past and you're like, I, I just don't know. I don't know if God could ever forgive or use a person like me. Have you ever read the Bible? <laughs> Have you seen the kind of people that God uses in the pages of this book? <laughs> Murderers, prostitutes, fishermen, thieves, religious zealots, the worst of the worst of the worst. Why? Because when God uses a person, he wants to make sure that he gets all the glory. And so God is not busy looking for the best and the brightest. Not. Nah, he wants to go after those people who think that they are unusable so that he can redeem them, change them, empower them, and use them in ways they never thought possible. And some of you, that's why you're here today, because you need that word. You need to be reminded that you are immortal until all your work is done. He's not finished with you. Listen, I want to take us back to the text with that in mind, because there are two groups of people, okay? We talked about the people who rejected. I want to talk for a moment about the people who believed. I've been trying to beat this into your hearts and your minds for the last several weeks, what, like 20-something weeks now in John. That word believed in the Greek is pistuo and it means to entrust. And what John's telling us here is that there were people in the crowd who entrusted their lives to Jesus as the Messiah because of the signs he performed. They're just asking the question, like, okay, if it's not him, you really think another guy's gonna show up and and do more mighty works than this guy has done? And they're thinking, no way, it's gotta be him. I mean, look at the things he has accomplished. And, And I love it because it ties in so beautifully with John's purpose for the gospel itself, we see it in John 20, 31, that he wrote this book to prove Jesus Christ as the Son of God that we might believe and receive life in his name. And the way that he did it, he recorded seven messianic statements. This is Jesus basically walking around going, I'm him, I'm him, I'm him, I'm him, I'm, him, I'm the Savior, I'm the King, I'm here, God sent me. We talked about the first one a few weeks ago I am the bread of life, more to come. But then he also recorded seven messianic signs. And these were miracles that Jesus performed to support his messianic claims. So he wasn't the guy just walking around, talking a big game. He's like, no, I'll show you. Like I'll prove that this is who I am. And so when he changed the water into wine at the wedding, and when he healed the official son and healed the guy at the pool of Bethesda, when he walked on water, fed the massive crowd, and John nine, when he heals the blind guy, and John 11, when he resurrects his friend Lazarus from the dead, what he was doing was proving his ability to save, And proving his ability to set things right in the world. This is how life functions when you come under my kingship. It's beautiful. And can I tell you the greatest miracle that Jesus ever performed, this is the best one of all, his resurrection from the dead. We're gonna get there at the end of the book, so stay tuned and and keep coming back for that. But can I just tell you, man, if the resurrection of Jesus never happened, we're wasting our time here today. We really are. And to all the skeptics and critics in the room, if the resurrection of Jesus never happened, you win! You're right, Christianity's stupid and it's irrelevant and it can't help anybody, right? We're worshiping a dead savior and dead saviors can't save anybody. Paul said it in 1 Corinthians 15. If the resurrection didn't happen, people should feel sorry for us. We are of all people the most to be pitied. Ridiculous, right? But, 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 but if the resurrection of Jesus did happen, And there is great evidence to prove that it actually did. And if you actually care about the truth, you'll go and look at that evidence. But there's great evidence to suggest that it did. Oh, man, that changes everything. And every single one of us is now forced to do something with Jesus. And there are only two options. You reject him or you believe. And in the last few verses that we're gonna read for today, what we see are the religious leaders responding to those who believe. Look at verse 32. Verse 32. The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I'm going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you won't find me. Where I am, you cannot come. And the Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we won't find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying you will seek me and you will not find me and where I am you cannot come? And so these leaders, the Pharisees and the chief priests, they catch wind of all the conversations happening about Jesus and they start to hear that there are people giving their lives to him. Oh man, they can't stomach that idea that people are gonna leave this feast and they're gonna follow Jesus as savior and Lord and so they call up the temple police, okay? If you've ever wondered why we have security here at Point, um, because people are crazy and it's biblical, all right? And you see it right here in our text. They call up the temple police officers and they're like, hey, we need you to come arrest this guy. And while they're on the way, Jesus looks at these leaders and he goes, hey, uh, I'll be with you a little longer, then I'm out of here. I'm hanging out for a little while longer and then you won't have to worry about me because I am going back to the one who sent me. And he is clearly talking here about his ascension, That after his death and after his resurrection, that Jesus Christ in bodily form would go back to God the Father and take his rightful seat on heaven's throne. It's amazing. And he says to these leaders, he's like, look, when I go there, you'll seek me. You're not going to find me. It's like a terrible game of hide and seek, right? Like, ah, come on. You're just not going to find me. And he also says, and where I am, you can't come. And they're so confused. All throughout John's gospel, we just see people confused every time Jesus talks. They don't know what he's talking about. They're like, where's he going to go? We can't find him. And they bring up this thing called the dispersion. At the time of Jesus, there were Jewish people dispersed all throughout the ancient world. They left behind their homeland, Palestine, and they had gone to live among Greek-speaking people. These are Gentile people, non-Jewish people, a lot like many of us in the room. And so they're going, is that where Jesus is is heading to, is Is he gonna go live among those diaspora Jews is what they were called and and serve those Gentile people? And here is the irony of their question, my friends. After he left, that's exactly what he did. This question was almost prophetic in this way that after Jesus Christ ascended to heaven, he clearly didn't go and live with those Jews. Oh, but he came after the Gentiles. This is so good, man. This is the story of the book of Acts. That after Jesus Christ went back to the one who sent him the good news about his person and work, it went forth from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Think about this with me. That King Jesus from his throne in heaven established his church upon the earth and then he poured his spirit out and he began to bring people into his kingdom from every tribe, nation, language, and people. It's why we're sitting here today. Because King Jesus came after us. And it's another reminder, hear me, that the gospel is for all people. The gospel is for all people. It is not for a select group of people. It is not for a certain people living in a certain part of the world. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is for all people. It does not matter your culture. It does not matter your ethnicity. It doesn't matter your skin color. It doesn't matter your socioeconomic level. It does not matter your religious background. Let me tell you a quick story from last hour. You ready for this? We just baptized a girl at the 915 gathering who met Jesus and she came out of Buddhism in November. For seven years, she was married to a man who just kept pursuing her and telling her about the hope of Jesus. And seven years, seven years later, we just dunked her in this tub this morning. And this girl said, I'm a follower of Jesus now. Man, the, the gospel is for all people. It does not matter your past mistakes. <laughs> you cannot outsend the grace of God. It does not matter your present failures. No, when Jesus Christ went to that cross 2,000 years ago, he went for you. And when he got up from the dead, three days later, he got up for you. And when he ascended and took his seat on heaven's throne, he came after you. Look, if you are in his family, it's because Jesus pursued you. And if you're not in his family yet, I believe that's why you're here today, because Jesus is pursuing you. And he's after you, and he's trying to reveal to you who he is and what he has done on your behalf. And here's the really good news for us. You ready? If we seek him, we will find him. Matthew 7, 7, seek and you'll find. And when we seek him today, we find him because we know where he is. And I tell you this all the time. Don't hear this stuff with church ears, okay? Like if you've going up in church, yeah, 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 no. No, you don't, okay? Come on, man, just stand in awe and amazement with me for a moment. Right now, as we are here, our resurrected Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is on the throne of heaven, seated at the right hand of God the Father, ruling and reigning over all things, snatching people out of the grips of death and hell, giving them life, bringing them into his kingdom. And he has said to you and I, as we're here, look, I'll be your high priest. I'll be your go-between. Like you, God, I'll be the guy sitting in the middle, And so you can come into the presence of God anytime you want, and you can ask for anything you need to live the life that I've created you and put you on the planet to live. So just come and ask with confidence. Anytime you want, man, I'm here. I've lived your life, so I know what it's like. And so just come and ask, and I'll give you what you need, not just to survive, but to thrive while you're there. Even in the face of suffering and hardship, I will empower you to live a life for the glory of God and the good of my world. This is Jesus In addition, man, we can go to where he is. We can go to where he is. Right now, he's in heaven. This is what the Bible calls the dwelling place of God. And he's there, but sometime in the future, have no idea when, he's coming back. He's gonna leave heaven once again and he's gonna come back to earth and he's gonna redeem and restore and make all things new. King Jesus will come and set things right in his world and we can be a part of all that. We can go and be with him. How? Through him, through him. You're not gonna get yourself there. nothing and no one else is going to get you there only jesus can get you there because he's the only person in human history who's ever picked a fight with death and hell and come out victorious Amen? amen only one and so you can trust in other things if you want but i'm going to go with the guy who died on a friday and got up from the grave on a sunday it just seems like the logical thing to do this is jesus he is the christ He is the Messiah, son of the living God. And as we close, let me just say this and we'll respond. If that's who he is, the only right response is to give him your entire life. And so can I just ask you, have you done that? Have you done it? Has there ever been a moment in your life where you have seen Jesus for who he is and you've said to him, take all of me. I put my faith in you as Savior. I will follow you as Lord hold nothing back from me. Have you ever done that? And if you're the person who goes, oh, yeah, yeah, I've done that. Are you doing that every day? I'm not saying are you getting saved every day. I'm asking are you surrendered every day? Are you the person remembering every morning that is who he is? And I will not hold my life back from him. I say this with all of the pastoral affection I can muster up, okay? I'm only asking because I love you and I care about you. If you are the person who claims to follow Jesus, but you're holding your life back from him, what are you doing what are you doing with your life you got one shot at this and then you will stand before the one who gave his life for you one shot and it's done the greatest thing you could ever do with your life is to give your life over in full surrender to him surrender leads to freedom surrender leads to joy and in a few moments when the band comes and plays and they close us out maybe you need to come before king jesus and go okay i'm taking my hands off of this have this area of my life i want to submit this to you jesus by your spirit empower me to let this go so whatever you need to do man just do it and for those of you who need to give your life to jesus i want to give you the chance to do it now so can we bow in this moment father i pray right now that you would awaken faith in dead hearts holy spirit of god come and breathe new life into people if you are that person who has sat through this and, and you've never had a moment where you've given your life to Jesus in faith, but right now in the depths of your being, you're like, I gotta do that. Maybe you're sitting there and, and you know right now, you don't even know why you know, but you know, everything that guy just said about Jesus is true. That's who he is. He's the Christ, he's the savior, he's the king, he's the one God sent for me so that I could know him. If you need to give your life to him today, just right now in prayer and in faith, tell him that Jesus I want you to have my life I'm a sinner and I can't save me but I believe you can and I want you to be the savior that I need and tell him right now I believe that what you did for me 2,000 years ago that it counts right now in this moment that you died for my sins so that I could be forgiven and accepted by God and then confess him to be Lord. Jesus, you are Lord. You conquered death, hell, and the grave, and you did it for me. You're seated on the throne of heaven, and I believe that you can give me new and eternal life. And so Jesus, would you be Lord of my, over my life today? I am releasing control of my life to you. Look, with head still bowed and eyes still closed, I just wanna say, if you are someone making that decision for the very first time, Number one, you just made the most important decision you'll ever make in your life and it is worthy to be celebrated. So before you leave, will you tell somebody what you did? Um, Our prayer team, our pastors are gonna be hanging out after the gathering. There'll be a bunch of people down here at the front of this room. Just come and tell one of them. I gave my life to Jesus. We wanna celebrate that and we have a gift we wanna give you, just some resources so that you know what to do next after you leave today, okay? If we can, right now in this moment, let's just all stand to our feet. We're gonna take some time to respond, to sing, to pray, but I wanna pray for us. Father God, it is so evident that you are here moving in our midst at work. God, would you have your way? God, we lay this time before you we lay our lives before you god whatever you need to do in us so that we can leave more surrender to jesus so that we can leave looking a little bit more like jesus god would you pour your spirit out and do that work in us right now father be glorified in this place god we thank you for who you are thank you for sending jesus for us we pray this in his mighty and powerful name amen